2, as we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Last week, we saw real life has real suffering. Uh, Andrew did not like today's uh, title, but sadly, it is what life is. Real faith must be tested. And I'm going to make this statement. You don't have real faith unless it's tested. And I'm going to prove that through the New Testament. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. But your faith must be tested or it is not real. And it's not that it has to be real to God. It has to be real to who? To you. It's for you. Um, When Abraham was sacrificing his son Isaac, that wasn't for God. That was for who? For Abraham. It was for him to see if his faith was real. If he was really going to follow this God that had called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Well, we're not in Genesis. We're in Job. Now again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present themselves before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord, I'm sorry, Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Excuse me. And he still holds fast to his integrity. Although you have incited me against him, to destroy him without a cause. Well, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot down to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a pot shear, which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. And then his wife said, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Kind of perky wife. But he said, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, when Job's three friends heard of his adversity they had come, uh, that had come upon him, each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Timnite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and to mourn with him and to comfort him. And they raised their eyes from afar off, but they did not recognize him, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. And so they sat down with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for such a beautiful day here in South Carolina. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ, for those serving. And Lord, we thank you, and we just thank you, Lord, for the the characters inside of the Bible. We know that it's not written by man because uh, man does not 
uh, elevate people that are not heroes. And so, Lord, you have real people dealing with real problems that we can really identify with. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for our day, and we ask, Lord, that you'd send your spirit once again and refresh our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. So picking up from last week, if you weren't here, Job kind of went through the ringer last week, right? So last week's message was real life means real suffering. And so the scene that we just saw in heaven with Satan, that happened also last week. And Satan said, listen, you put a hedge of protection around him, and that's why he loves you, God. And so God said, okay, I'll lower the hedge a little bit, but don't touch his life. And he was able to, Satan, go out and to destroy not only Job's children, but all that he had. And so we can identify with that when we lose a loved one or we lose our our job or, or, you know, just everything financially. We can understand that. And that's where I want to head us in this direction is that real faith must be tested. There must be something to it. There must be a substance to what you believe. I dare say it's important that you know who you believe in. Because as we're going to see, we're going to see his friends are very religious. Oh, they know about God, but they don't know about God. Does that make sense? And we're going we're gonna to launch, even Job has this kind of idea about God that really isn't what he believes or uh, that he knows to be true at the end. Go to the end of Job. I just want to restate this verse for us. In 42 verse 3, we highlighted it last week. At the very end, Job says this, Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand. I don't know nothing. Right? That's what he said. He said, Things too wonderful for me which I do not know. He, he at Uh, uh, chapters 1 and 2, and then going into 3. He has an idea and a concept of God, but ultimately that concept is wrong, is it not? So too, like so many people, their concept of God is wrong. They've been taught wrongly. Is that good English? Doesn't matter, it worked into it. They've been taught not the Bible. They've been taught, as Jesus said, the traditions of men which fail people. What is our favorite statement here at Calvary Chapel, Myrtle Beach? Where is that in the Bible? Bible. If it's not in the Bible, we're not going to follow it. I don't care if it came from Martin Luther himself or the Wesleyan brothers or Chuck Smith. If it's not in the Bible, then we're not going to follow that. Well, now, this is round two with Satan, and so we'll jump down to verse three. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless man, one who fears God, shuns evil, and he still, and this is his comment from last week, he still holds fast to his integrity. Satan, it didn't work. Your idea that he was going to curse me, that did not work. He still holds on to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him, notice, without a cause. And so Satan, he he doesn't have very many uh, tools in his toolbox. And now he brings out the one, and and by the way, have you noticed, uh, all right, did anyone read ahead? Okay, a couple of people, bless you. Bless your heart. 
Because what we're going to see from chapters 3 on is this middle discourse and Job uh, questioning God, right? But we don't see Satan anymore. Why is that? Because Satan really only has these two things. To destroy your family and your livelihood, and what else can he do to you? Touch your body. And that's what we see now. And he says, uh, Satan says in verse 4, skin for skin. He says, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. The idea is, you let me touch his body. You let me give him cancer. You let me let his arm be removed or his, just his leg or whatever, and he will curse you. Well, let's see. But stretch out your hand now. Touch his bone of his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so the Lord said, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So he brought the hedge down a little bit further. He brought the hedge down to a place that you and I would not like it to be. Amen. We want that sucker to go all the way back up. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I just want to keep it at that level. I don't want to have it dropped up. And I said this last week, I don't even want to have God having a conversation with Satan about me ever. Pick on somebody else. <laughs> I don't want my name coming up. And so, however, real life and real faith must be tested. And now the testing happens. Now, you, you would think that last week was a pretty good test, wasn't it? Losing everything and losing your financial status or everything that you have, and yet he still had his life. And so notice with me, verse 7, immediately, like last week, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot down to the crown of his head. Notice how Satan works here, that it was painful, and he, was, he made sure that he was in agony. Well, like last week that Satan has the power over weather, so too, if um, so directed by God and allowed the hedge to drop, Satan can also touch your body. Now, this doesn't mean that every illness is from Satan. Please take caution with that. Because as we said last week, we live in a fallen world with sinful people. And uh, listen, tornadoes happen, earthquakes happen, flood happens, right? Uh, you get a wrong administration that comes in, you get inflation. And you get high gas. But we're just supposed to deal with it, I guess. The, the, that's just life, is it? That's just the world in which we live on, on the third rock from the sun. And every once in a while, though, Satan is allowed to touch you. Now, in this book of Job, we are not given the answer to the question of why. Because that's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to refine Job and get him to a place at the end where he says, I don't know nothing, but all I know is that I will not leave my God. Now, this is huge because like last week, Satan was sure that this was going to work. Why? Because it had worked before. And God brings out Job again and says, 
Told you, buddy, he wasn't going to curse you. Don't you love how the Lord was just like, right on, Job. Job doesn't know what's going on, does he? He has no idea, but the Lord's like, right on. Remember when John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, John's in jail, and he just like, heads up, are you going to restore the kingdom now, or are we looking for another guy? And the point is, why am I in jail when you're the Messiah, and aren't you kicking out the Romans, right? And then he told John, hey, go, go read the scriptures of what Messiah came to do. But when his guys left, what did Jesus do? He praised John, and he said, there was no one greater among women than John the Baptist, the greatest of all the prophets. Well, John didn't know that, and neither did Job know what was going on, and he didn't know that his dad was like, right on, Job. You're doing a good job. And now his body is touched. And so he uh, went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot down to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd, which he scraped himself, and he sat in the midst of the ashes. Um, so not the uh, most clean place to sit. In fact, this is the garbage dump in which he went to. Uh, but sometimes ashes uh, have been known to, or, or, you know, uh, to, to soothe, and so he's using an old pottery piece to scrape himself. And listen... Isn't it funny that the Lord knows what to take away from you, but then what to leave? What does he leave? Verse 9. I'm here all week. I didn't have to say it. You knew it. (laughs) Bible's kind of funny, isn't it? (laughs) Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Now, let's pause. She, too, last week lost 10 kids. She, too, watched her husband lose everything. Now, I'm going to give you both sides of Job's wife. Let's give Job's wife the benefit of the doubt for a minute, okay? Job's wife is in pain as well. She is also watching her husband now in complete agony, and she can't do anything about it. She is helpless to help. Maybe you've been in that situation as well. You have a loved one, and there is nothing you can do, and you watch them in pain and agony. And you can understand Job's wife. Job, look, I know that you want to hold on to this thing about you and God, and you want to hold on that you're you're blameless and you're this great man in the East, but let me tell you, Why don't you just curse God and get it over with? Now listen, um, what Job's wife knows is that if she, or if if Job curses God, then, then God will just wipe him out and kill him. Now that's not necessarily the case, but that's what she thinks. And so in this idea of giving her the benefit of doubt, you can understand where you just want somebody to not suffer anymore and they want to just go home to be with the Lord. Oftentimes when I'm called, uh, to someone's house, Foy and, or, or Tom, that they know, they know when somebody is at that level that I need to go and, and talk to them. And oftentimes I'll go and I talk to them, and, and don't be offended by this, but I'll tell them usually, hey, don't stay here. 
just go home to be with your Lord. There's nothing more for you here. Your body is done. You're going to get a new one. It's okay. Move on. So I understand that. Because you see them in the pain and the suffering. Now, today we have modern medicine, right? We, we have uh, medicine that helps uh, relieve some of the pain, not all the pain. Job didn't have any of that. So I can understand his wife. Yes, right? Let's get to the wife part two. Now, here is a wife that is uh, disgusted with all that has happened And she, in her heart, possibly is at the place where she has lost her integrity. And in her heart, she has cursed God. Because she's lost 10. And she's lost all of their income and their home and all of their livelihood. And everything that she knows is gone. And now she looks at him and says, are you really still going to hold on to this God that you trust? Just curse him and die. Now, the amazing thing is we know that the tongue, the speech, can do amazing things. It can build up and it can tear down. Ladies, you can be your husband's cheerleader or you can become his greatest critic and really destroy him with his words or with your words. What do you choose to do? Do you choose to build up or do you choose to tear down? We all have choices when we use the words that come out of our mouth. Now, do you hold fast to, the, to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, it would seem that Job took it in a way that it was not the good one, right? Because he says, well, you're just talking nonsense. You're talking like a fool. Notice he didn't say to her, you're a fool. He said, you're talking like a foolish woman. He said, you speak of one of the foolish women. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So once again, Job holds fast to his integrity. A couple of things to note, and then we're going to go to the New Testament for a little bit. He says, shall we indeed accept good? And the idea is, hey, if good comes from God, then also the bad must come from God. Now, that is not doctrinally correct. Amen? I hope you know that. Because our God did not create evil. He is not evil. He does not bring evil upon us. We do that all on our own, but every once in a while, he lowers the hedge and allows the enemy to test us. And we're going to get to that over and over today. And so the idea, though, is shall we not accept everything from God? And that's correct. Be it good or bad, we, everything that we have. What did he say last week? Let's go back last week into one. And he says in verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yes? All that I have is, it comes from God. So be it good or bad, it all comes from God. Yet I'm not going to curse him. I'm not going to lose my testimony. Now, uh, don't worry. Ultimately, uh, the wife comes back on the scene at the end, and it would seem that she watches her husband through this. Now, this is quite interesting to me. Let's say she is already like curse God in her heart. She is bitter, 
And she's sitting on the sidelines watching the next, right, 40-some chapters go on. But obviously her heart starts to change at the end as well. And I'm not going to give it away what happened. You end of the book readers who read it first and then go to the front, and you're like, I got to stop doing that. So, real faith must be tested, or it's not real faith. We're going to go to 1 Peter 1 first. 1 Peter 1. And we'll pick it up in verse 3. Obviously, Peter speaking. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And here, here we get to it, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials or tested. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Isn't that beautiful? Peter's beautiful. We'll get to it some year. But notice what he says. In verse 6, in this you, who's the you? That's us, the body of Christ. In you, greatly rejoice. Now he says, greatly rejoice, and then he's going to tie that to suffering and trials. So does James in a minute. But he says, though now for a little while, would you please underline that or highlight that? What did he just say? He said, this life, as we have seen, is just but for a, bit a vapor. David said that to us in, on Wednesday night in the psalm. It's just for a little bit. I know it seems like it keeps going, but it's just for a moment. It's just for a little bit. He continues, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And the idea is, let me paraphrase, that the hedge has been dropped. And what is, what is the result? The result is verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, and the idea is that real faith must be tested. How do you know that your faith is genuine? How do you know that? Well, I got a bumper sticker on the back of my car. My dog is Christian. I got a Christian t-shirt. I listen to WXMB. But that doesn't mean your faith is genuine. Your faith must be tested. And that's what Peter says by the Holy Spirit. 
having the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, you and I must be tested by fire. Now, what does fire do? When you take gold out of the ground, it's usually locked in a rock. It must be ground. (laughs) Oh, we don't like to hear this, but it must be pulverized. And then it goes into the furnace where it is heated extremely hot till it becomes molten, and then it is poured out, and then it cools, and then the, uh, right, uh, the, the impurities have been scraped off before, I missed a step, sorry, it, before it's poured off, and what's left is something that's pure. It has to go through those processes. It has to be pulverized. It must be heated. It's got to be crushed. We don't like that part of Christianity. People hear that and like, I didn't sign up for that. But notice what Peter says. He says, it's tested by fire that we might be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we are tested through fire, and here's the point, and you make it on the other side, what do you do? (laughs) You praise and give honor to, to God. Amen? I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're, you just got hit. Maybe you're being pulverized right now. Some of you may be heated up. Man, it is hot right now in my life. It is boiling over, but there is coming a time when you'll be poured out and cooled and you'll rest. And at that point, you stand and say, I made it. You see, Job, I know the end. Job doesn't know the end yet. We know the end. But Job's faith must be tested so that it's real in his life, that he knows from my own life when I have been pulverized and on fire, I am amazed and and I am amazed at the calmness and the peace of God that came over me during those times. That it was supernatural. That is like, that's not my nature. Anybody else? Like, at that moment, you know your God is real because you would have not before acted in the same way. Has everybody got that? Like, I would have never been this calm. I would have never praised God in the diagnosis or the firing or the whatever. I would have never been at peace that I am now. And what that shows to us is the genuineness of your faith. And then you go, woohoo, Jesus, we got through it. And he goes, there's another one coming next week. We just got out of it. Do you see that? It is for the glory of Jesus Christ. By the way, let's just read verse 8. It's great. Whom having not seen you love. Don't you, don't you love that? Peter's, Pete saw God, God. He saw God in the flesh. He walked with him. He slept with him. He ate with him. He had fellowship with him. And he says to us 2,000 years later, and you guys are blessed. Whom not seeing you love, though now you do not see him, Yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. 
Okay, let's go to our next uh, section, and that is Matthew 13, 18. Now, this may be familiar to you. Maybe not. It's red letters. Jesus gave a parable, and he gave a parable of the sower of the seeds, but it's really a parable about the soils, about four different types of soil and how the seed, which is the word of God, goes into a human heart. And in verse 18, he starts to explain it to his disciples who didn't get anything most of the time which I take solace in because sometimes I don't know what Jesus is doing either, but that's the great thing about his Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. What he says is, let me tell you guys what what it's all about. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart And this is he who receives the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed, verse 20, on a stony place, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives the seed among the thorns and hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, he becomes unfruitful. But now he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, means take it unto himself, and indeed he bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Now do you see where I'm taking, taking us today? Real faith must be tested. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, we can come into this this book. By the way, Matthew is coming up in rotation. So Matthew will be the next gospel we go through, uh, which is very exciting. I love Matthew. Uh, But in here, Jesus is telling us something. And and we talk about it as in an evangelistic way. We talk about it on a Sunday morning. By the way, Right now, what is happening, there are four hearts right now. There are some of you, you came in and you are so distracted that the the enemy has already snatched the seed of God's word right now away from you and you are thinking about French toast. Now the rest of you are thinking of French toast. Sorry, we all just blew it. (laughs) But then there are some that are thinking, right, and, and, and you can work your way through. The idea is that on, on a Sunday and Wednesday, we want to have the word of God come into our hearts every week as good ground, going on good ground, watering it and say, Lord, take what I just learned and let me apply it to my life and then my week. Amen? But let's apply it to Job and the, the circumstances around what Satan is doing. Remember from last week, Satan knew that if he, if he goes after people's job or family, he can get people to curse God all day long across the planet without any doubt. He can bring a tornado and people will walk away from God because they lost everything. He knows that. He does it 
and he continues to do it. Well, what does he know now? He knows that if I touch people's body, they will walk away from God. Because, now listen, I'm going to wrap this all up in a nice little bow at the end. So you're going to have to hold on. But listen to, to, to the testing of our faith. It says, when the stone, or when the seed falls on the stony place, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now, the stony and the thorny, these people I'm going to call religious people. They come to church, but that doesn't mean that they're saved. Their faith has not been tested, but when it gets tested, let's see what happens when their faith gets tested. In verse 21, it says about the rocky, he who, it, it, when it goes into the rocky soil, yet he has no root in himself, but he endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arise, because of the word, he immediately stumbles. I want you to listen to this. He has no root. He doesn't know what he believes. She doesn't know what he, she believes. Last week, we talked about how, how can Job worship God at the end of that chapter? Because he had prepared himself to go through the situations of life. He was already prepared to worship God no matter what was coming. This person is not there. This person has immediate, a little bit of pulverizing, a little bit of heat, and they go, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. That's this group. And what did Satan do? He won. He knew it. He knew it was. But these people, they walked into a church. They listened to a message. Something stirred inside of them. And yet, when tribulation and persecution arose, because of the word, immediately they stumbled. There was persecution upon them, or something was said about them, maybe at work or on a Facebook post, and they left. <laughs> What's the thorny people? Now, verse 22, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the, world, the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The idea is that when uh, Satan attacks uh, Job last week, and he takes his children and his livelihood and everything, that person walks away. Maybe you know these people today. They used to be at church. Where are they now? I, I speak to the radio and the camera. Where are you now? Why are you not back in church? Have you been rocky or thorny? What has happened in your life? Your, your faith must be tested so that it becomes genuine to you, it, so it becomes real to you. Without getting prideful, <laughs> how many of you, when you went through something, again, and on the other end, you're like, I did it. I made it through. That was great, Lord. Now, what should come after all of those words is praising God. Because if you go, I did it, you're going to be thorny. You're going to be rocky. But when you make it on that other side, there's a little bit to that. You're like, yeah. 
thank you, Lord, that I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but I didn't fear evil. Let's go to the last one in our list today. And I'm sure most of you knew where we were going. We're going to James chapter 1. And we'll be in verse 2. My brethren, <laughs> I only <laughs> laugh because I know what James is saying. Count it all joy. Be excited when you fall into various trials and testing. Be excited when you're pulverized, when you're heated. Now, just no show of hand. How many, how many ever do that? Like, Lord, I love this right now. Bring it. Nobody. But again, there is peace through that. You may not be excited that you're going through it, but God gives you the peace through the pain, through the suffering, through the trial, through whatever. He says, count it all joy when you, notice that word when, not if, when, Everyone in this room that claims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be pulverized and will be heated beyond what you think you can handle. He says, knowing that the testing, here it is, so it's the refining process, of your faith produces hupomone, our favorite New Testament word, to, to lift up under patience, endurance. It allows us to keep going on this, oh, this fallen world, amen? How can we go from election to election? Hoopamone. I mean, how do you not shoot your television each night? I'm not advocating violence against your Sony TV, but come on, man. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or better endurance. So what did James say? He said, real faith must be tested. This is a hard message today. Why? Because we all know what it's like to be pulverized. The spice myrrh is very interesting. It is a spice that was given to Jesus when he was a baby. It was a spice they used to embalm the bodies. But myrrh is this kind of rock. You know what, uh, like, um, sap when it gets hard, right? It's, it gets really hard, uh, and, and it, then it eventually, give it some time, it turns into amber or something, right? But in order for myrrh to give off what it needs to give off, it must be crushed to a fine powder. In order for Jesus, for him to give off what he needed to give off to us, he needed to be pulverized on the cross. And what James, is, James the half-brother of Jesus, is saying is, your faith must be tested, and when it is tested, it's going to give you endurance. And it's going to happen the rest of your life as a believer. And we tied into uh, 
to Peter who says, but it's only for a little bit. He said, let patience, verse 3, have its perfect work or mature work that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So we go through what we go through so that we can endure and get to the end and come back to Job verse or chapter 2, verse 10, so we can come back and then in all that we say or do, we do not sin with our lips against God. Job's faith was tested. He did not waver because he was already from last week prepared. He knew to praise God in the good and the bad and whatever it was from him, Job says, I'm not going to reject him. And he was okay with that. And for the most part, Job knew about his God and worshipped him in whatever God brought in his life. But he was prepared before it happened. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell the kids this. Are, what are you going to do if you find yourself at a, uh, a party where there is alcohol? What are you going to do? Well, you can't um, deal with the situation if you haven't already prepared for the situation. So in your mind, you're thinking, number one, I'm not going to a party like that. But if I went to a party and if it had alcohol, what am I going to do? See, it's the same thing in the body of Christ. We're, we are rarely prepared for the things of life, and yet the Bible gives us everything to prepare for because it's got people in the Bible that have gone through everything that we will go through. So when we learn about them, for us, we are preparing for the next event. What are you going to do when the doctor says X to you? What are you going to do when they say you can't come to church anymore? What are you going to do? There are pastors that are being arrested in Canada, in Australia, all over the world. What are you going to do if I'm arrested? Thank you. I was looking for somebody to just... You know, have the bail fund ready. But let me say it even further. What happens if there is no bail? You see, our life needs to be about preparing. And as a believer, we know it all. And I don't mean in a braggadocious way. But we know what's happening. We know that evil is lurking. We know that men love darkness rather than light. They want to shut what we are doing. They've been trying to do that for 2,000 years. They will at some point in this country, I don't don't know how far it's going to be, but are you prepared to come into this room when those doors are locked by the government? What will you do? Will you follow God or you follow man? And I believe that over the last two years, we have seen a refining process in the church, and I think the church uh, did some okay things, but I think the church failed because it wasn't prepared to, to go against evil. You see, they thought, we live in the United States of America. There's no way this stuff could happen to us in the church. We have a, a First Amendment right. It, 
It just doesn't seem like Washington cares about that anymore. So you can't really rely upon that anymore, can you? All I can rely upon is what God tells me in his word. And what's most important to us, we'll come back to Job in a minute. Please turn to Acts chapter 2. And this is where the church failed. Because the church failed to realize that we have orders from our boss. And our orders are simple. And they're right here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And they, who are the they? That's us. We're the they. We're the, we're the body of Christ. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Would you write underneath that, the Bible? So what is, the, what is our role? Is that we continue to go through the Bible. And fellowship. How can you fellowship at home? You can't do it. How about breaking in bread? That's communion. How about in prayers? Oh, we could do that at home. But there is something about the body of Christ that we must come together. And so, are we prepared? What will we do when they tell us we can't meet? What will we do, church? What will you do? Will you be like Job's wife? Will you be, as Job said, like one of the foolish ones who said, well, I guess we just got to follow man? Or do we follow our God? Now let's end. Again, many people don't know about their God because they don't know about their faith because it has never been really tested. And only then when it is really tested, they'll know if their faith is genuine or not. If they really believe what they have been taught. Did he really come out of the tomb? Because I can tell you all of the arguments on the other side. Are you prepared to give a defense for your faith? Do you know what you believe? Paul Little wrote a book, Know Who You Believe In and Why You Believe In It. They're great. Get them on uh, electronically and read them. Know what you believe. Know who you believe in. Verse 11. Almost done. Now, in this section, we have the shortest person in the Bible. Let's see if you can find out who it is. Now, when Job's three friends heard of the adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Timnite, and Bildad, the shoe height. Come on, people. That is biblical gold. <laughs> and so far, the name of thought, I just wanted to end on something perky. But I want to talk about these three guys before we end. We'll see them a lot in the next few weeks. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. Now, before we hear their mouth open, these guys are amazing. Have you, do you have friends like that? That before they open up their mouth, they're amazing. They're amazing in this, and I give them this. 
And we should be like this three guys. We should be like these friends, but not in the advice they get. We'll get to their bad advice later. But we should be like this, which is getting together with the person who is afflicted to come and mourn with him and comfort him. That's who we should be as followers of Jesus. We need to be involved with people. Do you sit next to someone in a row and you haven't seen them in a while? We are creatures of habit in the church. You sit in the same spot usually every week. And when Jim DeVito does a switcheroo over here like last time, I'm like, was there a you know partial rapture? What happened? <laughs> But you know people in your row, you're like, hey, I haven't seen them in a while. What are you doing about that? It's not my job to call everybody. When you're in a home fellowship and you haven't seen that person, are you reaching out to them? Do you, do you know what's going on in their life? Can you be an Eliphaz to them? How are you to come together and to mourn with them and to comfort them? There is a tradition that is going away in this country. And I'm just old enough to be a part of that tradition, which is you may not know that person uh, fully in every single way, but you go to their memorial service or their celebration of life. You cannot find millennials who know how to do that. They have not been taught properly that out of respect, you put on a suit, and you go to that memorial service. Or you represent, how many of you can say this next race? You represent the family in doing that. You sent flowers or you did that. That, that was drilled into me and to probably the, the generation uh, above 50. Uh, my kids, I've been teaching them. <laughs> you may not. It's difficult as a parent because they're like, I don't know who this person is. We're going to a funeral. Ick. But it's out of what? Respect. We've lost that in this country. And when this dies, who's going to go to people's memorial service? And listen, look where it comes from. Look how many thousands of years old this idea and tradition is of sticking with a friend no matter what. They're about to sit with him for seven days and say nothing. That's amazing. I believe it's because they cannot believe the state he is in. When they raised their eyes from afar, verse 12, they did not recognize him, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. Listen, how many of you have walked into a hospital room and not recognized that person? Time and time again, I've seen that over and over and over. And just for a moment, you weep. Oftentimes, I have to walk out of the room. It's the sorrow of man's pain. Jesus wept over the sinful condition of man. He wept over Lazarus because death was not in the program. And so... They wept, they tore their robe, that's an, uh, a sign of mourning. They sprinkled dust on their head, and they sat down with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. 
What kind of friend are you? Now, in the, proceed, in the messages that are coming, we're going to see we don't want to talk like them, but we want to be a comforter like them in at least chapter 2. So they're doing a good job. And then God has to say, no. You guys are not. When you opened up your mouth, it was just all wrong. Because, as we will see, they didn't really know God either. They had religion. They had tradition. They had a teaching about this or that. But they really didn't know who God was. Because I pose to you, their faith had not been tested like Job's. Because when your faith has been tested like Job, you are an amazing comforter to other people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for Job in the situation of his life, and we thank you, Lord, for these trials and refining, Lord, even though it's not fun to be pulverized or to be heated, but that, Lord, we would glorify Jesus Christ who walked this earth, who is despised by men, reviled by the religious community, hung on a cross, died for our sins, and rose again to give us life. And that's what we glory in. And Lord, too, that we would be like Job's friends, at least initially in bringing comfort and just sitting with somebody. You don't even have to talk. You could just be with them and hold their hand to comfort them because we have all gone through this life because our faith must be tested so that it will be real. Not to you, Lord, but to us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Strengthen us, Lord, for the day that is coming upon this country as we see it happening around the world, that you would strengthen us, Lord, and that you would prepare us and that we would be prepared to know what to do when those times come. Thank you, Lord, for your servants in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do and your word today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus.